0: This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God.
1: And we are in Genesis 36. Mark Fox is going to be teaching and he's extending mercy to you by not having this southern girl massacre a whole lot of names for 43 verses. So, we will focus on Genesis 36, verses 1, verses 6, 7, and 8, and then I'll jump to chapter 37 and read verse 1. If you'll all stand with me in honor of the reading of the Lord's Word. Genesis 36, verse 1. These are the generations of Esau, that is, Edom, Verse 6. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. Chapter 36, verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan.
0: Thank you, Kelly, and thank you, worship team, for leading us into the presence of the Lord. Wow, it was a powerful time of worship. So this is a difficult passage to read and much easier to just summarize. And that's why we've dispensed with the reading of the 170 names. I counted them. There are 170 names in this passage. Now, some are repeated, but that doesn't mention the names of the ancient places as well. So it's a very uh, tedious passage. But it's there for a reason. Why did Moses include this? Well, because he wanted us to see the legacy of Esau as it compares to the legacy of Jacob. And speaking of fruit, you kids who were up here with me just a minute ago, you're going to hear about some bad fruit, some rotten fruit. That's what that is, rotten fruit in Esau's life. And then then we've seen the good fruit that comes from Jacob. Is that because Jacob was perfect? Everybody said, no, he was a sinner too, but he followed God. That's the key. Good fruit, follow God. Bad fruit, don't follow God. Reject God, follow yourself. Works every time. Well, we've come to the end of Esau's story. He'll be mentioned a few more times in Scripture, but this is it. And Moses starts the chapter with that familiar phrase. We saw it earlier in the book. These are the generations of. Toldot, that Hebrew word that simply means this is what happens because of or after them. This comes after. In this case, this comes after Esau what a contrast to the legacy that Esau has and the legacy that Jacob has. In fact, if you think about it, Jacob, who was by no, no means a perfect man, from him will come the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And from Esau will come one who wanted nothing more than to destroy the Savior, the Son of God. We'll, we'll hear about him Later. So let's look at this passage today on two main points, worldly prosperity and redemptive history. So Esau had three Canaanite wives, we're told here, according to this section, and this list does not correspond to an earlier passage where we're told Esau married these women, the Hittite woman, etc., so for some reason, there's, there's two lists. So maybe he had six or seven wives. We don't know. No explanation given here from Moses, except that he says from these wives, he had five sons who are named here, and the narrator makes sure that we know that they came from and they were born in Canaan. But what, Moses, what seems to be most important to Moses in telling us in this passage, and that's why I want to tell you to read those verses, is the separation here we see between the two brothers, they came together, they reconciled, then they went their separate ways, and now Esau is going to further separate himself from his brother Jacob. In verse 6, we're told he moves everything he has: wives, children, livestock, property. And it says he went away into a land, away from his went into a land away from his brother Jacob. Somebody could have said, Hey, Esau, where are you going? He would have said, Away. I'm getting away from him. Now why is that? The reason given in the text reminds us of when Lot left Abram and traveled east. Because remember back then, in that in that situation, Lot's servants and Abram's servants were arguing and bickering because they want enough land and want enough water. And that's what the reason given here that Esau leaves because there wasn't enough land to sustain them. But I suspect there's another reason, and it was prophesied uh, earlier by his father Isaac. He says, by your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. And so Esau moves away to the hill country of Seir. And you can say it another way, Harry moved to Shaggy, because that's what those words mean. So Harry moved down to Seir, and you will see Mount Seir is right there. Okay, this is the, is that the, the, the... The Dead Sea, that's the Dead Sea, yes, thank you. And then Egypt's down here. So he moves way south into Seir, and then look at verse 8. Moses writes in verse 8, Esau is Edom. And in verse 9, these are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites. Now Moses is going to repeat this important point. Several times in this chapter, which we're not going to read, (laughs) too many names, but he will tell us several times that Esau is Edom, and the Edomites were in the land of Esau. You know, the whole thing is connected. So these are the people, these are the generations that came from Esau's loins. And the separation was not just geographical, it was spiritual, you know, moving away from your family is not a big deal, but moving away from your family's God, if that God happens to be the God of, of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, that's a big deal. That's a bad, hairy deal. And that's what he does here. He moves away from not just the, the, land, the land of his brother, but the God of his brother. In verse 31, or in the next section, verses 20, 15 through 29, it tells us the sons of Esau were also chiefs. So they had tribes, and they were the heads of those tribes. And then verses 31 through 39, it names eight kings who ruled in Edom. There's no mention here that they were sons of Esau, but there were eight kings who ruled in the nation of Edom. And it says in verse 31, before any king reigned over the Israelites. Now Moses is reading this to the people in the wilderness, and they've just come out of 400 years of slavery. They didn't have a king then. They were under a pharaoh. And now they're in the wilderness and they're going to go into the promised land. When will they get a king? It will be hundreds of years, right? After they've been in slavery and then after the rule of the judges and then Israel begins to clamor for a king because we want to be what? Like our neighbors. And they get a king, of course, and we know how that ended up, at least with the first king. So Esau, Esau became powerful. He became wealthy in every sense of that in worldly terms. He became what most Americans want to be, powerful and wealthy. And he was filthy rich and filthy powerful in every sense of that word. Alan Ross writes, a picture of Esau as a powerful overlord is emerging. Not only did his own sons become chiefs of clans, but the clans of the lands were subjugated to him. Esau is Edom. The land of Edom, wicked as it was, was rich and powerful. But as, as Isaac had prophesied, prophesied, that power, that rich, that, those riches came from the sword. Esau expanded his territory and became powerful because of violence. And the descendants, descendants of Esau, the Edomites, Vic told us a, a few weeks ago, would become lifelong abiding enemies of Israel. These are people who hated Israel and hated the God of Israel. <laughs> right and when israel wandered in the in the wilderness after the exodus remember that they're wandering in the wilderness and they need to go there and to get there the straight line that's the, the quickest place right the straight line the quickest way and but they had to go through edom so they sent a messenger hey king of edom can we come through your land we're not gonna eat your apples we're not gonna drink your water we're just gonna travel through can we please come through And remember, the king sent back a message. You shall not pass through, lest I come out with a sword against you. There it is again. Live by the sword. Flash forward 400 years to the time when Israel had its very first king. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, this is in 1 Samuel 14, Saul fought against all the enemies on every side, including Edom. Moab, Ammonites, Edom, Zobah, against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them. So King Saul routed the Edomites. Are they done? No, because the second king had to fight them as well. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Are they done now? No. Flash forward 490 years or so to the time of the Babylonian exile, and Edomites are still there, they're still prospering, they're still wicked, they're still filthy in their riches and in their, their power and the prophet Obadiah, if you've ever read the prophet Obadiah, his vision really only is one, one small chapter, and it really only has to do with one thing. He had a vision of what was going to happen when the, the, the Judah, people of Judah were, were exiled by the Babylonians. Hey, the Babylonians are coming, man. They're coming. And this is what's going to happen to you, and this is how Edom is going to help them. This book is primarily a warning to the people of Edom. God is giving mercy and grace here by saying, Hey, you Edomites, I know what you're going to do. And and, and let me tell you what's going to happen to you as a result. It's very interesting. Why was God ready to destroy Edom completely? Because during the time of the Babylonian invasion, and while the foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you, Edomites, were like one of them. Now remember, this is a vision before all this happened. You're going to be like the Babylonians. You say, well, how am I going to be like the Babylonians? Because you're going to stand at the crossroads. You're going to cut off the fugitives as they are escaping. You're going to keep them from escaping. You're going to loot the city while the Babylonians are taking God's people into exile. Just imagine a gang breaks into your house. Now, this is a scary thing to think about. I won't give anybody nightmares, but... This is kind of the picture we have here. A gang breaks into your house, and the gang is dragging everybody in the family out of the house. And you notice as you're being dragged out of your house that the neighbors are sitting in the front lawns. They're eating popcorn. They're in lawn chairs, you know, and clapping and, and cheering. Yeah, go gang. You're doing great. And then you see, thankfully, one of your children, the fastest and the strongest, I don't know who that would be in your family, but he wrestled free from the gang, and he's racing down the street to get away from it. And you're, you're so excited, one of you is going to survive. But then you see some neighbors tackle him and drag him back and hand him over to the gang and say, this one kind of got away, but we got him for you. You're welcome. That's what's happening when Babylon comes to Judah and is taking the people captive. The Edomites, the descendants of Saul Esau, are helping them do it. And that's why God said, You're going to be destroyed. You're going to be annihilated. Are they done yet? Not quite. In fact, after the Babylonian exile, Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. Obadiah wrote before, hey guys, here's what you're going to do. And then Jeremiah wrote after Lamentations. Here's what happened, and here's the result of that. And I love this verse. He sums up God's planned redemptive history in this message. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, that's Judah, that's the good guys, is accomplished. And he, God, will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish, he will uncover your sins. Another warning to Edom. Are they done yet? I wish I could say they were, but they're not. Malachi, the last prophet, has something to say about Edom and Esau as well. He, pro- he proclaims this. I've loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. This is God's prophecy pro- proclaiming the end of the territory of Edom, the kingdom of Edom. If Edom says, we're shattered, but we will rebuild, you can't get us, God. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. They will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. What's the message here? Not just to the Edomites, but to every person on the planet who rejects and opposes the God who created this planet and everything in it. I will destroy you. I've given you warnings. I've sent my messengers. I've sent my prophets. I've sent the the gospel. I've sent the preachers. I've sent the messengers around the globe. And I've told you that I love you. And I want you to come and, and follow me. So that you can be safe. So you can have... Uh, uh, abundant life but you have ignored my warnings you know this text reminded me of a story I heard last week I could not believe this story I'm driving down the road here in this podcast world podcast so I know it's true I looked up later online found a picture you probably heard this story about a guy named Mauricio was sitting in his driver in the driver's seat in his Prius outside of his house in uh, Malibu California when he received a phone call Right? So the phone rang. So it's somebody telling him, go back in the house, you forgot something. So he gets out of his car and he's walking to get into the house and he hears this tremendous noise of huge rocks rolling down the hillside. You know they're having rock slides in California right now? Uh, A stone almost as big as his Prius landed directly upon his car, demolishing it, including the driver's compartment. And this guy is so excited about this, he takes a selfie. And then this is his comment, I feel like I should play the lotto. No, dude, you should get on your knees and thank God for sparing your life and say, I know that it's because of you that I'm not a greasy spot right now. Lord, you must have a purpose for me. God, would you share with me why you delivered me from a phone call? Listen, Edom didn't get a phone call, but they got message after message after message until it was finally too late. Somewhere around 550 BC, the Nabataean uh, Arabs drove Edom out of their land, the ones who were left, and they went to a place called Idumea. Idumea. You recognize that word? There's a passage in in Mark's gospel where it says the people were coming out from everywhere, from Tyre and Sidon and Idumea. They were all coming for what? To hear Jesus, to see Jesus. So they're in this area, it's near Hebron, and that's where they're living. So let's go to the next point, redemptive history. We see in Genesis 37.1, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning in the land of Canaan. Now look, Esau, his worldly kingdom are growing powerful by the minute, by the day they've got chieftains and they've got kings and they've got wealth and they've got powerful armies and they're just you know bad but Jacob's little family has no kings no tribes yet no land they control They're shepherds they live quietly in the land at least for now they're living quietly they're free from interference uh Franz Dalich who does a um uh has a commentary on the, on the old testament he wrote of the contrast between these two brothers he says secular greatness in general grows up far more rapidly than spiritual greatness you want to be great in america and be famous and make a lot of money you can do that a whole lot easier and more quickly than you can grow up spiritually can't you and then Ross adds, the promised spiritual blessing demands patience and faith. and emphasizes that waiting while others prosper is a test of faithfulness and perseverance. How do you grow the spiritual fruit we talked about with the children? Through much trial and tribulation and suffering. How do you grow patience? By being tested in times when you don't want to be patient. And so the kingdom of God grows very slowly. It's like leaven that works itself into the bread until all of it is filled. But the, the kingdom of the world is powerful and prosperous and shiny. And look at me and come over here and have everything your little heart desires. And we can easily make the mistake that Esau did and suffer for eternity as a result. As we, we will see as we continue to work our way through Genesis, the people of God are going to suffer a great deal before they get to their promised Land and it's fully realized. What happens with the people of Esau? They're not Edomites anymore. Now they're Idumeans. They're living in Idumea, living in and around Hebron. And that's uh, this area. Where's Hebron? Uh, bottom. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, down here in Judea. They're not, not very far from Bethlehem and Jerusalem. And so Antipater, the first of Idumea in 72 BC, was an Edomite. And, and his, his ancestors will convert to Judaism, but he had a son named Herod. This is in 72 BC, before Christ, right? And, and in 47 BC, because of Antipater's support of the Roman Empire, he was made the first procurator of Judea, Samaria, and Galilee by Julius Caesar, The emperor, Julius Caesar, said to Antipater, All right, I see your faithfulness to Rome. We're going to put you over this area down here where the Jews live. Take care of the Jews for us, right? Well, it wasn't long after that, 40 B.C., when his son Herod is also made the provincial governor of Galilee. So they're moving into the Jewish territory here. And then three years after his father's death, Herod is given the title of king of Judea. Another way of saying king of Judea is what? King of the Herod. King of the Jews. Who is this guy? He's the same one that wise men from the east will come to and say, where is this child born who is to be king of the Jews? This is the same Herod who will issue the proclamation that every male child two years old and under in Bethlehem should be destroyed immediately remember I said that from Jacob's wo- um, loins would come the Christ, the, son of, the God, son of God, the Savior of the world, and from Esau's loins would come the one who wants to destroy the Son of God. In fact, father, son, and grandson are all part of redemptive history. Father on the left killed the babies in Bethlehem, son in the middle uh, beheaded John the Baptist, and the grandson on the right executed James, and imprisoned Peter. These are Esau's descendants. So how do we build a a godly legacy instead of a worldly one? It's ultimately up to the Lord. As Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. But we play a part in that. Because Paul said, and his grace toward me was not in vain. In other words, I received that grace and I, and I received it with gladness and joy and with a work ethic that said, I want to labor for the cause of the gospel. I want to work hard that people might know Jesus so that, so that people can come into his kingdom. And I'm going to do whatever I can in my power. And it's all God. It's the grace of God but I'm going to do everything I can in my power to let the grace of God move through me so that other people might know. That's where the people from Jacob's heritage come, come to is that understanding that we've been put here for that purpose, to know God, to help others to know God, to love God and to be filled with his spirit. And he loves us. Well, what have we learned? Number one, the promises of God are true. We need this. We know this, but we need reminders. God's promises are true. He promised Edom something, and he followed through. He promised Jacob something, and he followed through. Number two, the promises of God will be fulfilled. We must only be patient and believe. We don't have everything we want right now, but we will in heaven. Let's be patient and believe the promises of God are good for us right now to follow him and to love him. The wicked seem to prosper while the godly suffer. We look around us and we see the world, you know, the people in the world having everything, it seems, their own way. And that's, Asaph, when he wrote Psalm 73, was saying the same thing. You know, why is it that the wicked prosper? And I didn't understand it, he said, until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. I saw that their end is not the end that I want for my life. Well, we're done pretty much with Esau. And At least for Genesis. And we're mostly done with Jacob, although he certainly plays a part. But starting next week, by God's grace, we will turn the page and we'll start looking at Joseph. One of the most interesting characters in the Bible and some people's favorite. How many would say Joseph is your favorite character in the Bible? Anybody, anybody would say that? I've heard people say that, you know. Okay, there you go, Zoe. Uh, we're going to learn more about Joseph and see... Uh, how important he is in the scriptures. One interesting thing about Joseph, he has the most ink in Genesis of any of the other men that God talks about. Right? There's, more, there's more Bible verses about Joseph than about Abraham. It's amazing. And yet he's the least talked about in the rest of the Bible. But there's reasons for that. and We'll talk about that as we move forward. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this... Uh, this testimony of your faithfulness to, to Jacob and your faithfulness to Jacob's descendants, your faithfulness to your son who came to, to save all those who would believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and be sons of Abraham ourselves because we are born into that family through Jesus. Lord, help us to continue to, to grow in our understanding of, of who you are and who we are Knowing that you've called us to a purpose that is much greater than ourselves, and you've called us and equipped us to that purpose as well. And we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.